Good. How are you? It's going great. We're um we're at the beach. We're broadcasting live from the Coral Cove uh, beach apartments, and we're having a great time. Oh wow! How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, just uh, dealing with some personal stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I love the show. By the way, it's so good. I listen to every episode. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. That means a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's great to have both of you on the show. Um, you know, that conference sounds really interesting. Um, I, I really wish I got to see that. That was that, that looks really cool. Um, yeah, it was a really strange uh, lineup of people they had. Um, but really fascinating, like talk after talk of like various like esoteric expert um and a lot of different like topics like ufos and deception the mm. ufos and the nation of islam yeah a lot of a lot of uh, ladies talked about love which was nice yeah we re that really resonated with us <laughs> um yeah got us thinking about making connection with disembodied beautiful orbs of light discarnated um, voices <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Sandra Underwood. I've been looking through some of the the speakers and it's just like I don't know how to how to like start this off. I usually just kind of I don't know, like uh, introduce you guys and then you can sort of talk. I guess I kind of already did introduce you, but it's like technically not going yet. Okay. All right. <laughs> so today this is a very interesting discussion I think we're about to have. We have the ladies from Texas Overture, which is probably my favorite podcast at the moment. I listen to every episode. <laughs> uh, it's just like every single topic of discussion. And, and I love how they it's referred to as a para-anthropology podcast about Texas. And they go into artists like uh, one of my favorites. Force Bass. Force Bass. <laughs> His stuff is really great. And uh, Whitley Schreiber. It's just, it's really, really interesting, fascinating stuff. They definitely do um, some cool research. And I feel like para-anthropology is a really, I feel like that's a really good direction to go in just in general, because everything else feels very saturated. Like, don't get me wrong, yeah. like, I love parapolitics. Like, all those guys are the best. Love you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, shout uh, out Jimmy Fallon Gong, all of those, all of those guys. Um, yeah, I think, I think we wanted to do something that felt 
fun and outside of like the greater discourse that was happening because um, that can feel so heavy um, and we kind of just wanted to like learn about stuff as we go along but also like create something that we would want to hear that I don't know created like a spark of like wonder yeah definitely. You know? we we work for a like a retired professor just archiving some books and stuff and at one point he said to us like uh you and camille are regular old paraanthropologists and we were kind of like oh You're yeah right. yeah sure. that that works that um it like clicked that that felt like a fun and kind of like uh apt term in which to study like these kind of Topics strange silly that we things. were already sort of gravitating towards like in our own lives um yeah i've been reading a uh, tristy's tropics by a uh, claude levy strauss i got like the first edition of that book uh oh, cool. at this bookstore right by my house and yeah, you know, it's like anthropo. I guess this podcast is kind of like a parasociology podcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like Baudrillard was one of the first people to sort of like use that phrase. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, it's like the translations between English and French are so like, but that's the way it was translated in some of his like live discussions. Or he calls himself like a non-sociologist because he's like, I'm not really a philosopher. Like, I'm not like an intellectual guy. Like, I'm kind of just like trash. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I feel like trash yeah. is really interesting. Like the detritus of like history and I don't know, just exploring things that are not so absorbed by the margins is always like the most interesting place to go. And I, I like what you guys said about like the discourse being a bit like heavy and yeah. you know auto referential and they literally don't think there's anything outside of this. I I feel like Texas is an interesting place because there's so much cool shit going on there, but it has no like global export. It's very hard to tell people like hey, come check this thing out. It's like going on here. There's something really interesting about about this place. I don't know. I feel like maybe it's just because it doesn't use the same like media organs or mechanisms or something like that. It's uh it's weird. Yeah, I feel like I feel like people oftentimes if they're not from Texas, it's hard for them to see past the like political turmoil kind of and yeah, a lot of the I mean, if Texas does have some some sort of export if it is in the news, it's usually as we've seen lately for something like really bad, you know, <laughs> but on a person to person level, it's like tax Texas is so vast and there's such a deep range of like terrain. Um, and there are so many different strange little pockets that you can kind of find yourself in. And it's hard to explain to someone that doesn't know the land because it's like the sort of thing that you have to do a lot of digging to get comfortable with, but it's a very interesting place. And I uh, definitely stand by, Texas regardless of its <laughs> yeah I think I think part of it too is like you know we you know in a lot of ways are very content living here and find a lot of like magic in our in our surroundings and there's so many things that we you know personally uncover that we get excited about and wanting to like 
share that with people or kind of like turn the lens and like kind of like explore like that side of Texas um, and, and kind of, you know, like communing in that with other people. Um, yeah, totally. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I think about that sometimes too. It's just like, there's so many uh, avenues of discovery and you guys are based out of San Antonio, right? I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's fine. And uh, I love how your first episode, you talk about the almost basin yeah and uh i'm really sort of interested in places that evoke a kind of like i i don't know just like an other narrative rather than like it being based on a particular person i think we're sort of moving beyond this idea that like you know we as people just sort of like you know disconnected from our social psychological surroundings could you know have this you know, have this greater power, but I feel like the power sort of lies in the geography of a place. At least that's how I feel lately. I've sort of like just, I'm just fucking sick of like hearing about people. No, dude, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't give a fuck. Like, no goth, like, get me out of that shit. Like, I don't know. Sorry. No, I, I really feel that. And I think part of what made like the almost almost basin like an exciting thing to talk about i mean yeah the whitley streeper stuff is interesting but like actually exploring like i don't know like the balcones escarpment and like there is something ineff ineffable like in in like the makeup of this place and like it's interesting exploring like what those like silent forces maybe you know influenced by these like you know, geologic or natural forces, what those are and like how they influence events and mythology and like local folklore and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of a perfect way for us to start off too, because I feel like right off the bat, we got the sort of like response that we wanted, which was people just coming out of the blue, people we had never met before like telling us about their childhoods and stuff like yeah or being like i can lead you to a geyser that's hidden <laughs> deep in the hill country uh yeah a lot of people saying too like oh I, I drove down the road and i saw that huge dam and i never had any idea what it was but it was like a strange sort of like towering force in the distance that is a very seems like the city has kind of grown around it but i'm not sure what it was there for so it was nice to I guess like have that as the framework for our first episode because i feel like it made people very receptive and feel like we were talking about something that um affected their lives and their relationship to this place too yeah yeah i always get sort of like sussed out when you like i see this term thrown around the internet like uh, internet anthropologist it's like isn't the definition of anthropologist isn't it like incorporate paleontology too where you actually have to like be rooted and situated in some like space or environment uh i i find this whole like i don't know like digital native talk about like oh you know like i'm doing an anthropology of the internet it's just it's so strange to me because i feel like 
only in a place where somebody is like so disconnected from like the food they get and you know where things are sourced where things are come from but like if you go out into like texas hill country you see the slaughterhouses like you know where things are coming from there's more of a sort of like localized feel even though it is so heavily private um i sort of think about that a lot i feel like a kind of return to a a geographic anthropology where you can really sort of separate the distinctions between different places you know places still have their it's everything isn't fully flattened by technology yet and i think if if there's anything um i feel like this like whole advent of artificial intelligence will actually have a return like terrestrializing effect on the world where people will start to embrace it's like now there's an opposition there's like a machine that mimics you that is not you so now you have to like claim your humanity in a certain way by like singing soul music you know people <laughs> might get back into like bobby womack like i was listening to bobby <laughs> womack last night i was like fuck man like there is n never going to be like, this is some real special shit. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And I feel like, honestly, I feel like some of this attitude for me has, uh, I guess been bred out of like a form of coping or something yeah. because for a lot of my life, I thought I was going to like leave Texas and do art or something like that. And then one day when I realized that that's like not actually what I want to do or it doesn't feel realistic or something, it's like, okay, well, I guess I have to dig my my claws into this land around me and try to understand yeah. what's here and, like, why I feel this, like, natural gravitation back towards it every time I think about leaving or something. And then with the internet anthropologist thing, too, I feel like I was way more into that at one point when I was spending much more time online. I was kind of like, okay, I want to keep my finger on the pulse of like all of the worst people on the internet <laughs> and, and see like what they're doing and why. Um, and like try to understand the awful implications of like all of the things that are happening on the internet right now. But then I started going outside more and uh, I don't know, not to, uh, you know, reinstate the, the touch grass uh, <laughs> sentiment, but yeah, um, but it's really, it's kind of real. I, yeah, I feel I feel similarly. Um, this does for for me feels like a personal like project to like not be fatalist and like you know kind of claim my own humanity and like feel excited about things and like not become apathetic um, and truly just like be out in like my surroundings and like question them and try to understand them otherwise it's like yeah you just end up feeling too like internet poisoned and like caring about shit that like really like doesn't matter at all <laughs> yeah that's beautiful i love how you guys make like cover art for your episodes too it's like i don't know i feel like there's something I, I don't know. I feel like every podcast should do that. It's like you should at least have some sort of like tactile visual element that you're 
manipulating yourself and uh i like i like what you said that you you really sort of took the forest best pill because he you know he was just like basically like texas not to say freak but i mean he kind of was a fucking freak and he found himself <laughs> no in yeah he was the city <laughs> and then he comes back and he settles in like bay city at his family's fishing camp and uh even though he was like promoted by you know betty parsons the famous art dealer he kind of i'm always really drawn to people like that like jandek or jerry hunt uh they could go to new york city or they could go somewhere but it's like they're just like nah i'm, I'm cool Yeah, I mean, when you're already faced with, like, the vast ocean every day, what what other frontier could you possibly hope to conquer? Um, yeah, thank you. I, I do the art for all of the episodes, and I have tried um, to, sure, yeah, take the, the forest best pill when thinking about how to do that, because I'm trying to not paint, like, or, or draw, like, scenes for every episode, but it's more just kind of been like a collection of symbols that I feel like relate to it because in my mind by doing that I'm trying to create like a dense map of all of the things that we talk about and I feel like once we continue doing this we'll have like a large um cipher of symbols that like we can a beautiful tapestry yeah that we can like see you know what images are re returning and what we're really dealing with. Um, and I think that that's been like a very helpful visual cue for me, just uh, forcing myself to, to like visualize these topics in some way as we go on. That's a great summary. I feel like, you know, I, I, I feel like that's such an important thing to do, especially in this like world of like creating content, quote unquote. Uh, just because, like, n if you don't, like, have some sort of, like, investment in a visual schematic of what you're discussing and you're sort of, like, because you're just, like, talking about stuff that either, like, happens recently or you have no personal investment in, like, you know, it just sort of, like, I don't know, everything kind of gets reduced to this, like, Reddit hyper consumer like gaping open mouth awe at like <laughs> any you know variety of media that you're consuming in any sort of way and it's like i feel like we're sort of at the time now when you actually have to like go make stuff you know and it's yeah like, definitely and if you want to be able to talk about art you also have to make it too i think we're sort of seeing that play out in real time and it's it's super cool yeah Forrest Bess is like so fascinating you know he was a hurt was he bisexual or gay I I don't know exactly but he was a hermaphrodite he had yeah didn't he have correspondence with a John Money too oh yeah Dr. John Money <laughs> yeah <laughs> Eddie Money's cousin. I I don't know, but it is he. Yeah, he convinced a doctor to perform some some surgeries on him, um, and kind of through study of like young and like alchemic alchemical texts, kind of um, developed this this vision for like becoming like an ascendant 
like perfectly unified yeah. person and that was through the process of like becoming a hermaphrodite um really really interesting do you are you familiar with uh john money's <laughs> john money's work yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah i am uh it is uh it's a little bit disturbing yeah uh, absolutely. but wait is he really eddie money's cousin <laughs> no i was just being stupid okay um, the web yeah. goes grows uh, <laughs> more dense i don't want to spread disinformation <laughs> um the first forest best painting i saw was actually like in real life was at the san antonio museum of art yeah they have a good a good deal of his artwork i believe yeah and he used to live there too are mm -hmm. you guys are familiar with mark lombardi right yeah yeah he is like uh he actually opened a gallery in Houston. He's from New York, but he moved to Texas, but he did these like link analysis pencil diagrams of like crimes and conspiracies. And he had this like, he basically took like, I don't know, parapolitic like deep PDF and turned it into like neo-conceptual art, um, you know, outlining the BCCI scandal and like Harkin energy scandals and like, the savings and loan scandal. And so he just accumulated all of this, like, I don't know. It's, it, I feel like it's so interesting to kind of like create an entire system out of, I, I feel like that's a main function of art that people don't really like talk about or just like anything, you know, podcasting, whatever is just sort of like, you know, being able to map these symbols out and creating a sort of like language that, you know, you can kind of just you know explore it in in deeper ways but yeah i i, I want to sort of like maybe segue into the conference <laughs> oh that, yes that is like the the main thing we're talking about so
you could, uh, so what is the archives of the impossible? Uh, what is the premise of that? And what, what's you, what was your guys interest in going to this? Cause this is like super, super interesting. Like, <laughs> um, well, the founder is Jeffrey Kripal, who is a professor at Rice University. He does a lot of stuff with comparative religion, um, ufology, that sort of thing. Uh, he is a very learned man, very kind, as we experienced at the conference. Um, and he started the Archives of the Impossible, I think, kind of just as a point of movement within academia to try to get some of these topics to be respected um, as more than just like, you know, new age bullshit, basically. Yeah, he has this idea of the, the super humanities and he wrote a book kind of expanding on this and that's just essentially like the the kind of like unexplained or you know mystical um currents that like underscore a lot of um the different fields in the humanities and kind of wanting to like legitimize and like expand the conversation within like theology comparative religion you know english just like the, the whole gamut like to include and to consider these things is like um you know phenomena that occur that are worth yeah you know giving attention to viable things to research and i think the most uh prominent and like apt example of that is that he has the ann and whitley streber letters in the archive which are all of the letters that they were sent after communion um of people just saying, you know, I've had experiences like this. They were talking about them just a little bit at the conference. And they said that so many people were writing to Whitley and Anne just saying like, please write me back. Like, I just need to hear anything from someone who's experienced something similar. Who's so not going to look at me like I'm fucking insane. Yeah. So I think, I think the archive is just sort of like a, a bonding technique or something like bringing it into academia, but also trying to compile things so that, experiencers um, and academics alike can kind of go through it and realize that there is a very um, heavy and like emotionally imbued context for everything that they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, there's also, I think like a lot of stuff from like Jacques Vallée yeah. um, and like various other people in, in like the fields of ufology or who, um, you know, kind of like parapsychology and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, a reservoir of of information. And so the conference, um, that's something this year was the second iteration. We found out about it this year. Um, and it's kind of like an extension of that. And so Kripal brought in like a bunch of like, you know, academics and just like people kind of like doing work in these fields to like do presentations on like, uh, the, the the supernatural um, and like all its manifestations and like how it applies to their research or like um, their their specific interests. Mm -hmm. One thing that comes to my mind is like he's actually you know a teacher at Rice University. Yeah, and he has his he's basically the chair of the philosophy and religious thought, and I've actually seen him interviewed in a few documentaries and it is he is like somewhat controversial too just because he uh 
you know, he gets into like eroticism and, uh, you know, a lot of these kind of, I guess you would say like woo woo forms of, of mystical. But yeah. one thing I'm sort of interested in is like, how do you, do you have like a background at like how all of this sort of like came together? Like, do you, so what was the premise of the conference itself? So this year, I believe the premise, um, the, well, the subtitle, I guess, was, it was like transdisciplinarity, transcendence, transnationality, I something like that. I saw that. Um, and so what we heard about the first year, last year, that they did the conference was that the people who were speaking were primarily experiencers themselves. So like Whitley Strieber spoke at that one. Um, but then this conference, I think that I kind of feel like the recurring theme was just one of like connection, the ability to connect with your environment on some sort of like deeper mystical level. And then also the like epistemological problems of learning how to do so, whether that be learning like how to interpret what you're seeing, um, learning like what to trust and what not to trust, or just like like literally learning in a classroom environment. They had some people talk about like the difficulties of bringing this into academia and yeah. being taken seriously. Um, so I feel like they're sort of moving through these topics in a way that I feel like makes a lot of chronological sense. Um, they said that next year's uh, theme in terms of the people that they're bringing on is going to be artists. So I think like experiencers, researchers, and then artists is just sort of moving through very nicely from like a primary source, yeah, um, secondary source, and then like an intermediary kind of, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I really sort of like how it, the description of archives of the impossible, just in that like head silhouette with the owl eyes. <laughs> um, and you guys actually talk a little bit about owls and what they what they symbolize. But it's a uh, because such a project is based on the wager that a new theory lies hidden in the anomalous, that the paranormal appears in order to mock and shock us out of our present normal thinking. And uh, I think that's really important. I think, you know, just finding these way, like a way to kind of like re-enchant the world is going to be, I think, more important than any sort of like, you know, reductive rationalist thinking, you know, basically designed by some engineer who has like no, has like no investment in uh, the epistemological function of how technology works. You know, it's just all about like speed, intensity, uh, capital, optimization, optimization. Yeah. And I, and I do think that there is a kind of like, we're sort of experiencing this mass problem of like, well, where do we find that right now? Because if the people who are, who are investing in quote unquote, like the progress of humanity have no sort of understanding, you know, it's like technology also means very different things to very different cultures, you know, like technology, yeah. the, the translation in China you know, is very tied to the I Ching as where like the mm -hmm. Greek version of techne is something like completely different. Like it, we really do have to look at these things. Like, is this an Eastern interpretation? Is this a Western interpretation? Like, 
how are these, I guess you would say, global technologies like negating that or imposing themselves on, you know, various, not just traditions, because I feel like that's reductive too, but interpretations of technology itself. And so, uh, yeah, the paranormal, I think, is a great way to do that. I saw a brown ghost at the park by my house in Austin. And it like, I can't stop thinking about it. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I, I really think I saw one, but yeah, sorry to, that was like a side note. No, I mean, we, we always are, want to hear about people's experiences. Was it, was it like a, like at night? Like during the day? No, it was the during the day. Huh. It was like this brown mist that appeared uh, outside of this bush next to this tree stump I look at sometimes. And then all of time stood still. So it was like moving across and then everything else just like stopped. And uh, yeah, I really think I saw a ghost. <laughs> hmm. That sounds that sounds pretty ghostly to me, but uh, especially the time time. Yeah. Thing. So what was what were some of your most like interesting like interactions or what who were the more interesting speakers or like topics where you learned like the most stuff oh my god there's so many um, um well you mentioned that you were you you're aware of skinwalkers at the pentagon yeah yeah uh one of the authors of that colm kelleher who's like a you know like dia contractor who like led yeah um OSAP, OSAP, Advanced uh, Aerospace Weapon System Applications, applications Program. program. <laughs> he, he was an Irish biochemist um, oh. who was chosen to lead this program for mysterious reasons. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, gossip at the conference surrounding his um, his character and his origins. Um, somebody was drinking with him. They asked him how he got into that, and he said that he got the job through a classified ad. So I think he's like, he, 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 and then like through his um, presentation, he struck us as like kind of very self-aware of like the irony of yeah. like him delivering a talk on like, uh, like the UFO, pro the secret Pentagon UFO program and deception and also like giving us information about it. Um, yeah. So that, that was really interesting, like hearing what he had to say and also like him as a figure and like questioning like you know the intention of him being there and what that meant for the rest of the conference well i want to contextualize that too by saying that the very first talk yeah. that was given was by this man named greg higgian who gave a really interesting speech um i believe his talk was called ufos and alien contact in the shadow of deception so he was talking specifically about the epistemological problems of dealing with this information. And he seemed, I really liked him. He, he was a great speaker. He seemed like very exasperated by it all. I will say like just the sheer amount of information that he had to present that we were dealing with at the conference. Um, and I think that I, I've been thinking about like the dichotomy of those two talks, his and Colm Kelleher's since then, because I am wondering if like that was on purpose, if they were like trying to stoke this sort of like intellectual tension between the different speakers or if the, you know, the people who put the conference on actually trusted 
uh, Colin Kelleher's information because he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't saying anything like entirely outlandish. He was just giving like a lot of, he talked about like the hitchhiker effect. He talked about Skinwalker Ranch, how, uh, you know, paranormal sightings tend to follow UFO sightings in close, in close contact, things like that. Um, he talked about like strategic military UFO dis disinformation campaigns too. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what Greg Akigian talked about too. Just like how, you know, those things coming from government officials, we can never truly interpret them. And then shortly after that, the next day they have a government, like a former government <laughs> official telling us about all of those exact things. So yeah, it was awesome. I've, I've been like going through these circles in my mind, um, thinking about like, okay, was that because Kripal seemed to like trust Colin Kelleher. Like, I, I, I don't think that he would schedule anyone for the purpose of them being interrogated, right? Like, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just like curious about the what what they wanted us to get out of the the conference. Because um, a lot of the people in attendance too were other academics, um, not just like random girls like us. <laughs> um, yeah, we were in the minority, but yeah, that was that was really interesting. Um, and and it, not all of the speakers were focusing on UFOs. Um, there were some on like near death experiences and um, sigil magic. And yeah, that one looks really interesting. I have to say, the one that I'm most interested in <laughs> is the in and out of this world material and extraterrestrial bodies in the nation of Islam. Oh, yeah. Did, yeah. did you see that? Absolutely. That was that was right after that was the second talk. So it started at like 4 p.m. Um, on a Thursday evening and they started off with the Greg Akigi and deception talk and then went straight into the nation of Islam with Stephen C. Finley. <laughs> it was honestly at the end, I felt like there was like a buzz in the room where everyone kind of wanted to join the nation of Islam. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> he made it sound kind of awesome i don't know i mean he talked about like uh he was definitely like like a, an infatuated student of the nation of islam and like that maybe yeah. that energy was contagious and and i don't know the way that he presented too he was very like bashful but passionate he had um he had a lot of imagery on his powerpoints he combined because basically what he was talking about was like the uh, idea of the nation of Islam as people of the wheel and as extraterrestrials themselves and how like the UFO abduction myth, um, the like archetypal myth is reflective of the black experience in the United States. Yeah. And so he's talking about this and then on his slideshow, he had very powerful images um, of black people being lynched and he just like didn't comment on the photos the entire time. Um, he just sort of presented them without context uh, against this presentation. And a large part of what he was talking about was the mother wheel, which is the thing, I guess, that is supposed to, um, you know, save the nation of Islam from the suffering on earth. And it's what Louis Farrakhan claimed to have been abducted to, um, where Elijah Muhammad told him about, like, the war on drugs. He warned him about different things that would cause black people to suffer in our country. Yeah. Yeah, he predicted like war with Gaddafi. I think this happened wow. in like 1985. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, so he he went into that history and then also just like explored various like cultural connections. Um, you know, he he talked about like uh, Parliament Funkadelic and like right uh, Bootsy Collins, Bootsy Collins, and how he like saw UFO and how that you know lended itself to uh some some music production um and just kind of yeah expanding on that wondering are you guys familiar with the book more brilliant than the sun uh by i'm not no. Eshun. it's like a it's a great book but it's sort of like uh like a theoretical book on afrofuturism and like the connections mm, between mm -hmm. like the black experience and science fiction and uh yeah, I, I feel like this conference is also sort of exploring the same thing where like, I feel like when, as the human becomes this more sort of like marginalized subject, and we're like, sort of, you know, we've been in this like, elongated, it keeps expanding, you know, and we keep shrinking, and it gets bigger. I feel like, like, introducing theories, or things that you know, actually open up a plane of possibility are just sort of really important. But yeah, if you want to keep explaining the Nation of Islam lecture, that's <laughs> yeah. so interesting. Well, no, for sure. Um, yeah, and I, I guess like maybe what I feel like he wanted us to get from it was like a, a lot of the Nation of Islam can be understood by like, it, it, like, and people being drawn to it as a religion because of like the the legacy of like um like black oppression and of like white violence um onto black people like in in the united states um and, and it promises it promises like an out to that basically yeah the mother wheel myth like at the end of the end of an era of oppression like you were abducted from like Africa and someday you will be abducted like into the into space through, yeah. through like the original like divine beings that you also um are connected to internally. Yeah, yeah. It like makes sense of that. Um which I thought was very interesting the way that Stephen C. Finley talked about it. And he ended off by he used a term that I liked and thought was fascinating where he said that like moving forward we have to um consider what it will look like when we find black life in the cosmos whether that mean like people from the nation of islam that have moved on through the mother wheel and then someone asked a really good question too about like if he has done research into um myths of uh, black slaves in america who have had like abduction experiences but in their visions they had they weren't being abducted to space they yeah. were being abducted back to africa and like meeting their ancestors and having this sort of reconciliatory moment where it like makes sense of the pain that they've gone through with slavery by giving them like a grand return moment um and i had never read anything about those experiences before and stephen c finley said that he I guess was not as, or, or he pointed to one of his colleagues in the audience, actually, who is a person named Biko Mandela Gray, who did some some interesting um, research into that. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is really wild. I'm like, 
completely fit. I really want to go down this rabbit hole right now. The mother wheel of yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I think they're gonna order yeah. all his books. There's so much to. That's the thing about how I feel post conference is that I feel like so grateful to have been given all of this information, but I also feel a little bit debilitated because now I'm like there oh are 500 researchers I have to go read about and like shake their hands. Yeah, <laughs> go down like like. 10,000 different rabbit holes. I have like um, six new religions I have to join. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And only so much time. Um, yeah. Yeah, he also, I mean, this is more just like a passing interest that I think uh, we want to look into more, but uh, he talked about these sisters called the UFO twins, which were, I guess they're from, they're from Texas, I think. They think they were from Dallas, right? Yeah, North Texas. North Texas. Um, and they like, I guess, had this whole experience where one of them got like abducted and taken into like uh, a UFO, like piloted by like black women, yeah. um, and it like changed her life. And then they, um, you know, kind of organized around this experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think their names were Shirlene and Earlene. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just like a lot of like little threads like that were just, like just being familiarized with like a passing you know bit of knowledge and wanting to like learn more about the context for that wow that is so interesting it's like this is like actually really fascinating stuff um so i another thing so what else if you could talk about like the sigil magic that sounds pretty <laughs> Yeah. Like, uh, there's also one like dialectical notes on the human Marxism as the impossible, and oh, the impossible through God. a Marxist lens. That sounds like the last, the final day sounds uh, really interesting. Yeah, um, the sigil magic talk was really good. the The guy burned Christian Otto was a German academic who. Um, was like a researcher into ancient sigils and he basically just like gave us a presentation on how to use sigil magic um, yeah it was like a like instructional which i've avoided learning because it scares me um yeah of course <laughs> but yeah he he like gave kind of an instructional lecture and talked a little bit about how accessible sigil magic is today he showed some like screenshots that he took on his computer of a uh, witch talk, uh, which sounded really cute in his little German accent. Him like confusedly approaching TikTok and like TikTok internet witches. witches. <laughs> Hello. Um, he also used like an online sigil generator to try to create a sigil uh, that would help him achieve success through the presentation. Yeah, it's called uh, it's sigilscribe.com. Um, we are afraid to use it, but if anybody <laughs> wants to create a sigil to, to automatically generate a sigil um that's where you need to go yeah um, i didn't i didn't know um much about that but he talked a little bit about like sex magic and its its workings within sigil magic and how all of those things i guess kind of inform each other and prolong each other yeah you have to be in a an altered state to upload the sigil into your your subconscious and your yeah. your kind of like intent um and you know in, in the way that that relates to sex magic you know being in an altered state of mind um and then you, you know once you do that you're then 
your your ego has to forget forget the sigil for mm -hmm. and um kind of allow it to passively manifest your intentions um he also talked about uh you might find this interesting because we were talking about like visuals and art as it exists on the internet a little bit earlier but he talked about um what he called hyper sigils oh yeah that was so interesting which Whoa. was popularized by a guy who had um grant morrison yeah yeah grant morrison uh who had like a comic book that he considered a hyper sigil like a prolonged series of sigils um which to me i i, I guess i don't really understand that because i thought that the point was to like leave it after its creation and not yeah for it to not be something that's like prolonged into the future um but i was interested in the like preservation of art and how that might work with sigils um yeah, yeah I, I like read a little bit more into that um and it seems like it posits itself as like a new like a new form like distinct from like, yeah. the the practice of older sigil magic um and i saw some writing about like uh, and, and Grant Morrison himself, um, through talking about his like comic series, um, kind of related it to like any um, kind of long-standing digital or just external uh, project um, that maybe in some ways is like a an extension of yourself. Um, well, obviously, and I don't know. I, some i saw some writing that was like saying like even like an online persona or a blog can be an example of this um like kind of like a cybernetic <laughs> feedback loop horrifying um, horrifying it reminded me of like serial experiments lane anime <laughs> um but yeah i want i want to read more about that because i thought it was like a really interesting way to to understand like like a creative project or an, an online persona or Wow. That is, that is really interesting. That's a great summary of, uh, <laughs> uh, I feel, yeah, I feel like that sort of summarizes exactly like that. I guess you could say that the, the that period's kind of like over in a weird way where people are sort of like, all right, like, I don't know if I entirely believe this whole, like, uh, it, I don't know, like disembodied, like network spirituality thing. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting, just in terms of like on a social programming level. But I definitely think it kind of didn't go that far beyond all of that stuff, which is why it just seems like a bit like I don't know, like over in a way, or it's just it's like lost any of its kind of like initial fascination or intrigue and i feel like the internet is just kind of like it's it's running out of stuff in a weird way it's running out of stuff because it's so full of stuff <laughs> and it's so you know it just kind of induces this endless openness where like the journey's never over you know it's like yeah. you can't close it and it, it just it, it's yeah it's really sort of interesting but yeah this burnt christian auto guy sounds <laughs> I'm just like reading about him right now. Oh it's like, yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's really fascinating stuff. Um, I think the way that he talked about it initially, before getting into that the hyper sigil thing, was interesting because, I guess, the idea was that the sigil 
closed the journey you know like the the right necessity to forget the sigil after you load it and not you know because he was talking about how you can't like check back in on the sigil to see if it's working or stuff like that you just have to like load it with your energy throw it out of your mind and let things happen as they might um and so i think that that's more interesting to me than the idea of like continuing to create sigils or having some sort of ongoing project because it doesn't yeah it feels like there's just no the like longevity of it sort of denies the magic or something um and he gave a lot of interesting examples and something i liked that he said um when talking about like some different people who have used the sigil magic one of them like (laughs) was a german person who I guess like the translation of one of the words he used sort of changed what he wanted. Um, And Bernd Christian Otto's assumption was that like whatever energy or consciousness was like helping him along through his sigil journey misunderstood what he said basically. And he said something about how the subconscious and, you know, like the energetic undercurrents sort of take the path of least resistance, which was interesting because that was something that other academics said about totally different topics like we there was one about um like interdimensional beings and uh like orbs of love coming and and creating you know great beauty and strife in people's lives and they they said the same thing like it takes the path of least resistance and it reaches you when you are vulnerable and like in ways that you cannot really comprehend that's uh (laughs) Every, every point you made about, you know, once you set the sigil, you have to forget about it. Ah, you know, I feel like, I feel like one of the problems with today is people are always like looking at stuff, you know, when they see something, when they see a symbol, they have to look at it again. And so instead of it, you know, containing any sort of like symbolic power, uh, it just, becomes this weak transcendental sign that you sort of like set and forget and it's just becomes this like pointer to something else uh in a cycle of like reference but that's a that's a really fascinating point you just brought up yeah i just think i mean obviously we live in a very like production obsessed culture and when we're constantly checking up on ourselves and like measuring ourselves against our past selves it's sort of like leaves no room for just like hope or faith or magic um and so i was more interested than i thought in in the burned christian auto talk because i i i do get scared by that sort of thing because i'm afraid of like trying to manipulate any sort of circumstance energetically but i am interested i guess in just like the implications that it seems like we've totally lost a form of magic that uh was it seems like more, I don't know, accessible in the past. Yeah, he refers to it as a culture. Yeah. Like, spelled O C C U L T U R. I've never <laughs> I've never heard of that before. But uh yeah. but he he references that uh he uses that reference to describe like fantasy movies, series, comics and computer games, uh just like things that prominently feature the sigil. You know, like, so it's, I guess you could say it's like a, a kitsch sort of like a cult practice. 
but not even a practice. It's like, it's funny. I like, I uh, interviewed these satanic rappers who like <laughs> they, a while awesome. back. They're like some of my favorite, but they actually do practice like chaos magic and like do sigil Right. stuff and they got really big actually funny enough like they have like beef with other rappers because they claim that they like they're not really about like they don't actually like read grimoires and like oh do God. this shit <laughs> so it's it yeah i don't i don't think that i'm built for that sort of thing um <laughs> i i like the idea of like having to create something in order to make something happen um and i guess like we were talking about a little bit earlier i think that that's a good way to do it because personally like when i draw um i feel like i get very fixated on images and they stay with me unless i like put them down in some way and then once i do i feel like i've kind of released them into the ether um so i can respect it in that sense because i think like finding some sort of physicality for your mental fixations and finding a way to let it leave you is really important. But I think assigning, you know, magic with a K to that is where I get afraid. And <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, what? So you talked about it was like a lot of like academics there, but like, what was the sort of like overall energy? Did you feel like, uh, it was more sort of like people who were interested in researching or were there like actual sort of believers? Like, I guess what was like the psychology of the overall conference? Just to, if you could come up, if you could just summarize it, I know that's probably a bit uh, generalizing. Sure. Um, yeah, there were a lot of, there were a lot of academics or, you know, maybe some creatives. There was a film panel. Um, so I think there were some people from that world a little bit um but there were also uh people who are more like true believers who kind of you know were experiencers themselves who were hoping that the conference kind of featured more of that we we struck up conversation with like a group of uh people from austin who um told us this who who had had told us about some experiences they had had and particularly about a story, um, how they like journeyed to uh, Mason, Texas, which I guess is known for topaz mining. And they were doing some shit by like, by like a creek or something. And one of one of their friends got possessed by a ghost. Um, and then they also saw like UFO lights. And um, yeah, so there was there was some of that there. And they had a lot of other interesting things to say. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a mixed bag, um, yeah. But it, it did lean more, lean more academic. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I think everyone there was very, um, very like kind and very open and willing to talk about why they were there or what they were trying to get out of it, like what they wanted to see. Um, we gave out a lot of business cards to people who were like interested <laughs> in. Um, I don't know, like hearing similar stories or telling their own, maybe yeah. stuff like that. I think it was, I don't know if confusion is the right word, but it's, it seemed like a lot of people who had maybe like amorphous experiences, um, 
maybe not confusion, but like a state of being undefined or something. Like a lot of people just sort of looking for other people who could help define their past in retrospect or something. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That created like a very nice environment uh, energetically. It just yeah. felt like there was like a little buzz and murmur throughout every room you walked in kind of. Yeah, not 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 a very... Uh, yeah, people seemed very receptive um, and like they were approaching everything with um, like an open, an open heart. Yeah. Um, which was nice. One of the uh, s- uh, speakers I was kind of interested in is Anya P. Foxen. And I don't know anything about her, but I really like uh, the title of her presentation, the sublime and the ridiculous, what happens when the impossible is ordinary? Did you, did you guys check that one out or? We actually, uh, skipped that morning and went to the museum. We went to the we Manil. Went to the Manil. <laughs> um, oh, cool. Oh, nice. How was that? It was really nice. It was pretty. Yeah. I liked, I liked the gray foy drawings a lot. Uh, but I guess to speak like broadly to that point, when the impossible is ordinary, I think that was also sort of a theme that runs through the archives themselves is that like, uh, not, I guess not the idea that the impossible is truly ordinary, but that it's, there's nothing like out of this realm or there's nothing that we should cease to consider, you know, yeah, like, like it's still like weird and like, you know, nonsensical in some ways, but it's still something to be considered and something that does happen and and all of the experiences that you have whether ordinary or unexplained they all inform each other so i would assume that that's sort of the general direction um that she took she i know she's like a religion scholar so i think that uh she probably talked about it through that lens there were a lot of there are a couple of like straight up religious talks to theological talks um about like how to interpret jesus's myths or there was one um, from a Jewish man named David Halperin talking about how he taught the New Testament as a Jewish man. Um, and I guess just like the lens that he had to adapt uh, to do that. So, yeah, I think I think it all kind of runs through like a similar thread. I really like this idea that like anything is possible. But one thing I'm wondering is like, when they speak about the impossible as a possibility, does that give it like imbue it with a sort of like mundane? Just yeah. because I'm trying to understand, obviously you have people like Mark Fisher who talk about like capitalist realism, that this is like nothing outside of like the commodification of capital, which is I think is bullshit, honestly, <laughs> but I think it's just patently untrue. But at the same, it's just, you know, the context in which we have to discover things shifts very fast. But that doesn't basically in that ether state of the shifting of that process that you can actually find some sort of like alterity, finding those spaces, and you're going to have to keep looking for them. That's just sort of the way things are. But it doesn't mean that there's nothing left that's like, interesting. It's just always going on elsewhere. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I th- I think also like m- maybe just addressing things that you you know aren't necessarily like empirical um, that do exist in that ether, and you know giving giving credence to those things and like an avenue for exploration. Um, 
and kind of like pu pushing back against like an absolute scientific model for engaging with the world and I, yeah i don't know i think I, I think you do have to keep looking for things and uh n you know not allowing things to to become mundane but it but yeah that that was kind of my my understanding of um how they were approaching the impossible i'm looking at this david j halperin feature and he talks about a tale of two bibles so and you know you you spoke about how he he has a sort of like his jewish interpretation of the new testament and he's written five books on jewish mysticism yes um yeah he he was an interesting speaker unfortunately he wasn't able to be there in person so we were just writing or, or just watching um like a video of him on the screen that he had pre-recorded which i think like disallowed a sort of conversational aspect to it that would have really benefited his talk but he gave a very interesting um talk about that and like about i guess the effects that religious scholars sometimes unwittingly have on their students and he he talked about how a lot of his students um in like foundational level religious theory classes would come away from it being like I went into this like having a very strong faith and now I have no idea what I believe and I lost my faith. And he was like, you know, that's not my intention. So I've, he's had to, I guess, form his teaching of specifically the New Testament in a way that allows students to, you know, create their own beliefs and like follow the mythology in a way that makes sense for themselves. Um, and he also talked about he he talked a little bit about you know bringing ufo research into yeah. theology in an academic sense and how it's like hard to be taken seriously but how he likes to teach of course like the book of ezekiel and stuff like that and just mm -hmm. try to get students to think about the bible as something that has a dichotomy of like things that feel historical and embedded in like a very realistic context and then things that are kind of up to them to interpret um and it was it was like a nice moralizing speech kind of he he had like a very warm exterior about all of it and seemed to have like a very strong faith um that i think like really showed through in his teaching style i don't know i have to say this uh georgi mamadov oh <laughs> guy Dude. uh this is the <laughs> co-author of the queer communist manifesto like what is this guy's deal he's yeah um so he kind of you know we were kind of unsure how that was gonna go given re reading the background right um but yeah. we're like okay we're gonna go and he started off kind of being communism like, and lgbt activism that's it sounds yeah. It wasn't the sort of, yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he like started off being like, I'm not going to like approach this with like critical analysis. I'm going to take a more like personal approach. And then he kind of did auto fiction. Which um, I, it's important to say that he, he did say that like he had an analytical speech written and that's like what the title was based off of. So he was just completely changing his speech very yeah, last minute uh, and there were like you know 
imbued with like journal entries. He told, he's like, um, yeah, he told a story about <laughs> in which he referred to a, a, a woman that was with a more, a more attractive man yeah. in his view. Uh, and he called her a towering fat dyke, uh, and, <laughs> and was like, uh, then he realized that she was there to adopt like a, a, a disabled Kurdish boy. Um, and then uh, things made more sense for him. But I, I think his kind of thesis was that in, in relation to like the top, like the title of the talk and like maybe the conference was like, yeah, Marxism uh, uh, seems impossible. So you should maybe you know hate hate your your motherland hate your fatherland yeah uh, i he was like i hope that child adopted by that woman <laughs> ends up hating her and That's hates bad. america so change can happen yeah when he, it's impossible it was yeah it was he, strange. he ended the anecdote about the woman adopting the <laughs> disabled boy by saying Fuck them. Fuck that love. And like, <laughs> so what? Everyone it was so bizarre. It was just like such an uncomfortable. I'm not even trying to be like a hater about no. this because I I honestly went into it. I I did, you know, thought experiments to make myself <laughs> go into it with an open mind because I honestly like the last thing I wanted to hear about was Marxism, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know. And then like as he went on, he talked about you know I hope. I hope that Kurdish boy hates his mother. I hope he hates his motherland. I hope he hates America. Um, and yeah, I guess just like talked about how you should hate things because that gives you the will to change them. Um, and I was thinking about this in the shower yesterday and just getting <laughs> so mad. Thinking, like, just, I don't know, like pacing in circles and being like, where does he get off thinking that love is like a, a foolish emotion that exists with no criticism? <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. He, his, his like speech ended and it just felt so deeply uncomfortable. And thank God the next talk was the one about sigils really boosted everyone's <laughs> mood. Got the crowd going. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just that, sound, that sounds insufferable. Resonate. Honestly, <laughs> he was, yeah, we were we were like maybe being catty and like making fun of him. Uh, no, no, he he but, deserves it. It's fine. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> we were very respectful during the speech. Yeah, we um, listened. We li but that's the, right. we sat there. We listened. We gave him a chance. Yeah, um, but then he started singing like, Imagine, "Imagine" by John Lennon and, and talking about. Oh how, my god! Oh yeah, he, he did wanted like to an, kiss Putin. He did like cheek. an evil Marxist. <laughs> joke rendition of Imagine by John Lennon. Oh. Yeah, that sounds really bizarre. <laughs> it was very strange. And then he ended, uh, this is actually maybe the most important thing of the talk because you see how it was bred out of like a deep sense of bitterness. But he was, he ended the talk by being like, if you're uh, not a socialist when you're young, you have no heart. If you're still a socialist when you're old, you have no head. Well, I turn 40 in a couple of years and I, I really hope I'm still a socialist then and that I keep my great, beautiful, brave heart. And I don't know, it was just kind of like, okay, this is like clearly an aging anxiety um, thing where you feel the need to like, yeah. It didn't really have a place. At the, at the Push your conference. angst off onto a disabled Kurdish boy for some reason. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the yeah. thing where I was like, he should... The, that boy 
that boy has nothing to do with it. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Sounds like pure projection. Yeah, it was strange. It was definitely very um, out of, felt very out of place. Um, all of the rest of the talks. And it was also like in the morning. So we were all hearing that at like 10 a.m. or something. It was just like groggy and strange. Yeah. yeah, definitely sounds like it. Did you see the uh, film in the impossible panel discussion? One of my friends yeah. was on that actually. Brad? Is it Brad? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brad rules. We, yeah. We kind of. Did you meet him. him there? Yeah. He had like followed us a while ago and had kind of reached out and told us he was going to be there. And so we like hung out with him. Oh, I also cool. vaguely knew um, his girlfriend, Steph, before that too. So then we realized that they were going to be there and. Um, Hung out with them a little right. bit at the conference. Yeah. I love Love and Saucers. Oh, so good. So good. <laughs> the David Huggins stuff is amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got like super obsessed with that, uh, with that documentary. And I just love David Huggins painting so much and his whole like, I don't know. I mean, he kind of seems to like, lead a very sad life, but there's something like incredibly beautiful about this guy who just like, lives off of nothing and just like paints these uh mm -hmm. you know these strange paintings from memory about like alien sex voyeurism and him like you know impregnating these grays it's so cool <laughs> something really fascinating it's that's cool that yeah. uh, he reached out to you guys i think I think maybe I told him about your show. I was like, oh, there's, oh this really? Really, there's this really cool new podcast that I'm like really into. It's just got like everything I want to hear about right now. Hell yeah. And um, yeah, no, that's actually interesting. What did they go into if you don't? Uh... Uh, there were three people on the panel. Brad was one of them. Um, and then there was a, uh, another guy who, his name was Stuart. I can't remember his last name, but he... Um, makes like movie and film or films and music. Um, and he is also an experiencer and he talked about um, an encounter he had with a mantis alien um, like 10 years ago. And also uh, an experience he had um, in a recording studio that was like formerly Charlie Chaplin's like cutting room floor essentially uh, and how he became obsessed with Charlie Chaplin and stole an art, like a piece of his cutting desk. Um, and then subsequently experienced a series of strange paranormal, um, encounters that, uh, you know, maybe was connected to the mantis, maybe was, you know, some sort of ghost of Charlie Chaplin, uh, that was super angry that he disrupted, uh, his space um but but yeah just they, they kind of talked about all of their their work individually there's another guy who i guess worked on a like a ufo tv show yeah his name was kevin lincoln um and the the first guy stewart was named stewart davis okay yeah yeah they, it kind of it gave them some nice space to showcase like what they've been working on um which is really interesting like brad showed some clips from love and saucers um yeah and then they kind of just opened it up for questions and there were some really interesting ones people asked about i guess the way when you're talking about these subjects on film the way that the anomalies sort of make themselves known in retrospect um 
which I think is an interesting proposition, I guess, in that context. Uh, and Kevin said something about how he thinks the the um, director that does that best is David Lynch, yeah. which made sense because when they were talking about that, I was thinking about like Inland Empire and the way that, I don't know, images become like imbued with the spirits that inspired them kind of. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was a really, it was a really good discussion. A lot of people were interested if the panelists had like had those experiences themselves, like filmed something and then noticed afterwards that there was a ghost on the camera or something like yeah. that. And I think most of them hadn't. Um, Stuart claimed to have filmed some UFOs that I think he put into his trailer. But yeah, yeah, and they also just sort of talked about the process of like filming and especially like through a documentarian's like lens like how do you you know do do the subject just justice and paint them as like a, a human being while also not like you know suggesting anything in one way or the other um in, in kind of like keep, keeping an open mind and like but but also like maybe like techniques of like showing or signaling
Oh, sick. Can you hear yeah. us? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. Whoa, that is so crazy. Isn't that freaky? Yeah, it just yeah. came on to like right as we reconnected. Um, yeah, the power the power went off in our Coral Cove <laughs> shitty beach house. Um, How long are you guys there for? Uh, like two, two more days, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we've awesome. been, it's been nice. We've been, uh, I just started my day just like walking on the beach, like communing with the Portuguese man of wars, drinking a soda and it felt, <laughs> it felt really good. I think we're going to go to, uh, Bay City later today and try to maybe hunt down some forest best related things. Wait, so Bay City's like south of Houston, right? Yeah, it's like south, southwest a little bit. Okay, that's super interesting. So you guys are like really going on an anthropology. You're actually doing it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. We wanted. We have like a metal detector that we bought for some reason, and uh, we were gonna bring it on the trip to like try to find artifacts as an exercise in our field research. But we forgot it at home, unfortunately. Yeah, we're on it. We're trying to do anthropology, but keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to go to Delshaw's grave too, but it was like thunderstorming crazy. Yeah, and we don't really have the constitutions for um breaking and entering and rolling through the mud. Not yet. We're gonna we're gonna work up to it, but yeah, we're 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 ideally doing anthropo physical anthropology. That's really cool. I'm like uh yeah, so is there anything else you wanted to say about the event in general or just like because I, I know we kind of got sidetracked there a little bit. I, I like forgot which uh, which lane I was on. You're good. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, in general, I think it was exciting for us. And, you know, I, I really appreciate Kripal's like approach to these topics. I think it kind of validates some of our own world, like our own view of these things and like how we want to kind of like apply like research and like, um, but also just like a kind of whimsical attitude to to these like phenomena um, in Texas. Um, and we, and it was like really cool that it was only like a few hours away from us. Um, it's nice to know that things are happening here. Yeah, we were, we're also given so many jumping off points for new yeah. texas related topics that i feel like it it was just like the perfect thing to inform what we wanted to do and put us in contact with people who were interested in you know the mission uh, <laughs> had their own yeah. missions that sort of overlapped um because i think it is it was just really refreshing like uh what you were talking about earlier feeling like nothing can exist outside of like the confines of a dreary bleak capitalism there were a lot of little pockets that like when we talked to people it was it felt strange that we would all have to like go back to our normal lives you know like yeah we were it was just so nice to talk to people about like strange emotional experiences you know people we've never met before just opening themselves up to us and telling them about telling us about like very strange and horrifying things that had happened to them were wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was cool to just like think about consciousness a lot. I think that was another through line in the conference was just like trying to think about, well, what that actually is and how it functions and are there 
filters that exist that you know prevent you from accessing these different visionary experiences um and and just like yeah that that was cool i feel like examining all this stuff is like really important if you're an artist too you have to kind of like open up the imagination a little bit it seems like everything is so negative now but i like what you said about how like you feel like when it was over you kind of didn't want to go back because it's like yeah. you don't get to interface with people who are interested in this kind of stuff like every day although i do think you know cryptids and uh conspiracies and aliens and ufos are like they're becoming more and more like a part of the broader i don't know discussion or like lexicon yeah, totally. shit people talk about like what yeah like media but it's it's like i feel like it's it's all very sort of like shallow like people's investment is just kind of like you know it's like a passing distraction to you know go from oh i i need to see an alien now okay cool. <laughs> like next sort of thing yeah yeah it also made me feel i guess really determined and curious as to how we can create something that feels more like this in our lives outside of academia yeah um mm. which isn't something that we've talked about too much yet camille and i like amongst ourselves but i think like honestly our podcast is kind of our attempt at doing that just like bringing um these strange circumstances closer towards us uh and it was nice hearing all of the academics talk and a lot of them really struggled a lot of them struggled to like get tenure because of their interest in these topics um a lot of them struggled and just like generating interest and you know like respect around these topics in their institutions and i you know I, i'm not particularly interested in academia or like re-entering the college system or anything because i'm frankly very bad at college but yeah. i uh, yeah, want to i guess like generate interest and and try to find a way to i guess like urge people towards this in a way that feels uh reverent and and like sincere yeah um, that's really important to us is that like yeah there's a lot of humor to be found in these topics and like you, you know it's like maybe absurd that like i like i know a cryptozoologist but that it, it we are approaching these things very earnestly and like with like the idea the desire to to like facilitate connection and like understanding and um i i think that feels really central to to what we're trying to do and what we yeah. want to do more of um yeah i think i just have like an urge to present these things to other people which we are doing but i think more so than that i have an urge for people to be willing to present themselves to me you know like i want to understand yeah um and generate some sort of like closeness between me and others that allows them to like trust me um and tell me about how these things affect their lives because i feel like so many something i'm we've re realized too i think is just that so 
many more people have experiences with these things than you would think. And then like they would initially let on a lot of people are the sort of people who would never, who like aren't interested in conspiracy stuff and aren't interested in cryptids and like all that shit. They're just like regular people who maybe had an experience 30 years ago that like sometimes still keeps them up at night, stuff like that. And like, Mm. I think the conference has just made me feel more urgent about trying to form like a community around this that exists outside of academia that doesn't feel like like predatory and like they're trying to change your mind yeah or like influence like we're trying to commodify it or something like that i just i don't know i want to have like a very personal approach to all of this i guess yeah i want to i want to be in the weeds Mm -hmm. i want (laughs) to be getting trench foot i'm like i don't know it's just it's also like fun it's fun it's fun to like try to get down to the the bottom of things and uh, through talking to people you know i think that's like one of the most important things in the world and it's it's fun to see the way that another person changes when they can tell that you believe them you know like Mm. the way that people will just like unfold themselves if you let them is really interesting and it's i guess like fundamentally what i'm realizing is that so many people don't really get that chance um and i think it's important that they do and so trying to find some way to like facilitate that um i guess has become a new like a more uh i don't know important part of the goal or something yeah we're not like focused on like proving or disproving anything more just like acknowledging that people experience phenomena you know that's so cool yeah i get the sense that you guys are like very sort of sincere in what you do and i feel like that openness is really sort of important also like with any sort of project you know once you sort of become like a spokesperson for like this ideology or group or you know you're you're like you're it's kind of like it's so easy to for people to fall into that trap because ultimately like those are the things that have you know, eyes built into them, but you sort of, you lose the ability to like let people unfold and, you know, sort of like show what they're about. Yeah. And I think it's, I also feel like it's hard for people to like understand that concept of just like letting things be and being open to yeah, like even like exposing things within yourself and your own sort of thoughts that are flawed. Also really important to do that so that you can learn from that experience. And I don't know, that's kind of like the approach I've tried to take. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, I, th- I I like contain a lot and I, I think like yeah. you kind of making yourself so open and like just like having live, con- you know, con- I mean edited, but like conversations with different people about like things that maybe you don't know about or know more about like that's very cool and important I think yeah you don't have to know everything you don't have to be a genius you just have to like open your mind (laughs) yeah exactly. like that's I feel like that's like the most interesting thing to me about all this stuff is like 
I don't have to be smart. Like I'm not an academic person. Yeah, I'm just, it's, same. it's just like, am I willing to go to these places? Am I identifying the territory that fully crushed yet? And am I willing to go there? And those are like the two kind of questions I think I at least ask myself is like, and is there some sort of like generative potential that can go beyond these discussions? Are these like productive in any sort of like way? Could they like potentially inspire me or whoever or somebody else to like go make something? Because the last thing I want to do after talking to people is like fucking write an essay, Yeah. you know, but I, I do want to like Straight up. make music or like do some art or like make some clothes or like it does sort of like inform like visual language. And I don't know if that's because I'm from California and it's just not a very academic-y place. It's very sort of image-based in a weird way, mm. but it's like, I don't know about you guys, but like there is no internal monologue for me. Like I don't hear vo words. It's just all visions and images. <laughs> that's like that's awesome. sort of, I don't, I don't understand when people are like, they hear voices in their head. I, I can't hear words in my head. Yeah, no, that's cool. I. Uh, I'm, I, I feel like I am like neurotic or something and I'm trying not to be, but, you know, experiencing the world visually sounds, that sounds nice. Yeah. It feels good to let these conversations just like fill us up with something. Um, and that something like has to go somewhere. Um, but yeah, I've, I've noticed the same thing that I've been like a lot more artistically inclined because I went through a long period of not doing art at all pretty much but after we started this podcast I feel like I'm just more active in every artistic discipline than I have been in a really long time and it's clear that it's just like the fact that I'm allowing myself to get close to things that you know I feel drawn to.